Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of The Grind Collective. My name is Will Hafer. I'm an amateur scouting writer for Prospects Live, and I'm joined, as always, by Daniel Garcia and Johnny Davis. Daniel's a writer for us. Johnny's a writer for us. Daniel works in the analytics department at UVA for baseball, and Johnny is a right-handed pitcher for the Assumption College. What, what, is, the, what is the mascot? We're the, we're, we're, we're the Greyhounds. We're the Greyhounds. Greyhounds, okay. Yeah, yeah. Did you take a Greyhound down in North Carolina this week? Oh, yeah, we did. We uh, we'll, we'll get into that, but yeah, we were, we, were, we 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 had a we we had our own Greyhound we took down there. So, if there's a college here, Oglethorpe, and they're called the Stormy Petrels. And <laughs> we'll get we'll actually get into that too because we're going to be talking about um, in our main topic different levels of amateur ball, but. We're gonna start off with just kind of going on, going over what we went up, what we've done since the last time we've uh, talked. Um, Daniel, you were um, you're at UVA this past weekend for mm-hmm. a pretty interesting uh, set of games. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, we had our first series of the year, obviously, this past weekend, and initially it was all supposed to be in Wilmington, but it was supposed to be dumping rain on Friday at Wilmington, so. We moved the Friday game to UVA um, because our weather was pretty fine. Um, And it's about four hours for Delaware, so it's pretty easy to travel. And then we played Navy in our home opener. And I worked that game. And for working it, I was just running the Yawker system, Synergy system, switching between with a few other guys in the analytics staff. And it got out of hand pretty quickly. Uh, We ended up winning, I think, like 20 to something to five. we ran it up. It was more of a football score for us. Um, but, yeah, the rest of the games were in Wilmington. And so I watched it. it. was on TV for a little bit. But we looked really good. Our offense is firing on all cylinders right now. There were some present surprises on the pitching staff. And I'm super optimistic for where the season's going to go. All right. All right. Um, for me, I've been kind of out and about in the Georgia area. Um, did the uh, – Juco tournament down in Panama City Beach saw a lot of good players there. Christian Opera was up to 98. Um, 69 of his 70 pitches were fastballs, and he struck out nine and went five scoreless. So just crazy stuff there. And just prep stuff all uh, out and about in, in Atlanta. And I um, just a bunch of guys just on my Twitter, um, you know, just – uh, just very recently, as of yesterday, I finally got to see Colin Hout for the first time this spring. Uh, very valued draft prospect around here should be a first rounder uh, at a little out of uh, Parkview High School, and like we were watching Parkview yesterday, and like they take infield like they're like you know like in like those like kids sports movies where like the underdogs see like the like evil like rich like super team practice for the first time. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. just moving so quick. <laughs> That's how part you takes infield. It was, everything was like on time. Everybody was moving. Something was happening. Like it was crazy. <laughs> After seeing <laughs> infield taken by a, like you know a bunch of different high school teams, that was kind of crazy. I, I threw with really, the, I, I played with a kid from Parkview uh, a little bit when I was younger. I played some uh, some travel tournaments with Team Elite, and uh, I played with a kid who's going to Georgia Tech. You hear, I'm thinking like, okay, you're obviously your school's uh, number one. He's going, oh, I'm, I'm, on our, I'm our number three, number four. I'm going, what? Where do you go to high school, man? You're kidding me, you know? So that's that that's that's my connection with Parkview, and uh, pretty 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 good stuff coming out coming from down there. Yeah, but, you know, last year, I mean, they're always competing in the seven A region, I think, but. This year is particular. They've got a bunch of really good 2023s. Obviously, Hal can. 
pitch committed to Mercer that one yesterday that touched 93, and then they got some 24s that touched 93, 94. Like it's pretty crazy. They they could they're they're gonna be a problem. They're gonna compete with anybody and everybody they see, and yeah. could probably compete with some you know programs beyond high school. <laughs> a few of them maybe, but. Um, anyway, Johnny, you were down in North Carolina as well, I think. Yeah, I was actually right outside Wilmington. So, uh, and I, I told, uh, I told, uh, Danny, our Friday game, uh, got canceled because of rain. So we ran a double header, uh, Saturday, um, and then played one Sunday. We, we, we did well. I think, uh, we finished one and two, uh, we lost our first game and then split, um, you know, and it was it was good. I think that we played well. We played a nationally ranked team in Malloy, um, who was um, was a really really good test for us. Uh, I threw a scoreless frame against them, and uh, it was good to get back on the mound and you know be able to get back playing. So I you know I told you I said this on the last podcast. I had a Tommy John surgery about seventeen and a half months ago. So this was the the first outing since then. So a well, first official game outing. So it was good. To, Good to get back on the field after all that time. So, oh god, I can only imagine, man. It's yeah. a year and a half. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, just can't you? So you went one two. I've always kind of wondered how, like, you're you know, for those of you who don't know, Assumption is a Division two program up in Massachusetts, and a lot of these teams up in the Northeast will travel down and play in Florida and Georgia and. Texas, California, any, any place where they can actually play baseball in February without it, you know, snowing, without snow on the ground. Um, how do you guys typically kind of approach that? Do you like, because it's a, it's a very unique circumstance to, to college baseball that not a lot of other sports have where you're on the road for like three to four weekends to start the year. Like you don't play yeah. a home game until like game 15 sometimes. Yeah, so for us it was like we left um, uh, Thursday night and didn't come back until um, Monday morning uh, around 5 a.m. was when we got back in. It was like an 18-hour uh, bus bus trip. Um, I think it should have been about 16. We got kind of caught up in Maryland with some uh, some nonsense with a food stop. Um, but uh, we made it back, uh, and now we're, we're up here for uh, two days, and we leave, uh, we leave for Florida uh, Thursday. So, um, then we have a, a couple series lined up, uh, down there against some sunshine conference schools, which are usually our best test of the year. Like being able to play like those sorts of schools, the Rollins is the Florida Southerns, the PBAs, like those are great tests, uh, for us. Um, and if you're not aware those, those schools typically are the highest end of, um, division two competition, um, Tampa Rollins, uh, that, that, that whole conference is, a division two powerhouse so when we get to play them that's kind of where we get to see where we line up in terms of okay are we going to be a regional team are we going to be able to make a run you know stuff like that so that's it's always fun to be able to to have those games yeah and and, and just for those of you that aren't aware sunshine conference is i believe all florida teams yeah and PBA is palm beach atlantic so these are all d2s in florida are pretty crazy because Florida is just such a hotbed for amateur talent that, I mean, I remember, you know, Cam Lanzelli, who I probably got to meet from perfect game is now doing his own thing at Ascent athlete, Ascent athlete as a uh, pitching coordinator, I think, or um, yeah, he was a development last year. And he was telling me, yeah, like these D2 teams, we could go up and be like Jacksonville. Like we can go and beat some of these like you know lower level D ones in the state of Florida, like that's how confident they were because he he was the pitching coach at Florida Southern, which is also in the Sunshine League. Well, um, it's what's interesting is like when we played Rollins last year, you're looking at like the roster and you know every every name or you know when it's the at the high school is saying okay this this kid played two years at UCF, this kid played two years at Florida Gainesville, this kid was at Florida State, and you're saying like, okay, you know, these guys probably did nothing at their school. And it's like, oh no, this kid threw forty this kid threw forty innings at, at UCF, you know, and he's he's here at Rollins now. I mean it's it's and and there was no shortage of um am, amateur scouts there. So Yeah, that's yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It's just kind of Florida is at a whole nother level just in terms of how many kids down there are playing baseball, playing at a high level. There's such a wide talent pool that it seeps down 
there's there's for as many D1 programs as there are there and as many top and JUCO programs as there are there, you know, a talent still can seat down at the D2 level and make some really elite programs down there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So um want to go over something real quick before we get into the, the main segment here. Um, one of the new rules in the SEC this year is a 10-run rule after seven. This is going to apply to all SEC conference games between SEC opponents. Um, in non-conference, it will apply if the non-conference team opts in to it. Uh, it's kind of, you know, a, a bit polarizing, I think. Nobody, you know, nobody likes the, you know, a competitive environment where, where you can get run ruled, and especially in a sport like baseball where it's kind of there's this um, – this magic to the idea that, like, you, you know, it's not over until the 27th out. You can always – the team the team you're playing, no matter – they could be up 20 runs. They have to get that 27th out. And we've seen comebacks, you know, from more than 10 runs, you know. But I, the kind of the idea is you don't want to just burn all these players, you know, that are developing. Um, that hap- that at 10, 12 run comeback happens once in a blue moon, and 99% of the time it just involves dudes going out again shellacked. Um, so, it is, in Daniel, you experienced it this week as kind of like an opt in yeah. thing. So, I just kind of want to throw around, you know, if you're kind of for mm-hmm. or against it. Um, I, I'm not trying to color the discussion one way or another. I'm just kind of weighing the pros and the cons in my head. And <laughs> Yeah, personally, I would say I'm for the run rule. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to I'm always scared of players getting hurt in a blowout, especially like throwing a guy on the mound for no reason. And you never know what's going to happen when he's out there throwing a couple innings. Um, So in these games that statistically there's not very high odds of a comeback very often, I'm fine just putting the players out, putting just like saving some arms for the rest of the weekend. I'm fine putting that at the forefront at the college level. I don't think at the like higher levels I would ever really support it. But I think for college where there's so much development coming, they're young guys. You don't want to be putting anyone at risk in non-competitive games. Uh, I'm fine with it. I don't think, for example, for the UVA Navy game, I don't think there would have been a lot of value if we played those last two innings for either team. We had put in all our bench players. They were burning through arms before a weekend series with good teams. Uh, So I think it was in both teams' best interest to just, you know, let's go travel. We were playing – at Charlottesville, we're not supposed to be in Charlottesville. Let's end this game early, get a traveling, save some arms for the rest of the weekend. And I, I obviously, you don't want to give up a competition, but that game was never going to be flipped. So, and I'm very fine with that. Have being ended after seven. Yeah. Okay. Um, Johnny, you have any thoughts on it? Have you actually? I mean, the competitor, you know, travel ball level. There is there. I believe there are run rules for. And especially in high school ball in particular, it was in Georgia. It's 15 after three, 12 after four, 10 after five. So have you experienced run rules before as, as a competitor? Have you felt about it? You know, and what do you think about it kind of like seeping up into, uh, you know, college, the college level? Yeah, um, I've been on both sides. Uh, I made my college debut against like a number eight team in the country in Division Two. We were down 12. 12-0 at that point. And it's tough. I mean, like, the, 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 what happens in those games are, like, you know, you throw out the you, – because you have to look at it from a coach's perspective. It, you know, if you're up or you're down, what you're looking to do is, you know, you're already looking past that game. You're saying, okay, how can I how can I keep my – position my staff for what, whatever lies ahead? Okay, great. We, we're up we're up 10 runs here. We're not we're not going to waste our stud out of the pen, right? You know, just just because. Or oh, we're down ten. We don't need we don't need to lock anything down. Um, but you know, I will I will say there's something uh, I, I I referenced that Malloy game that I threw in on Sunday. That was a seven seven nothing game after the first two innings, um, and we had to go to the pen in the uh, second or third inning. And we ended up holding it down uh, to the point where uh, we didn't we didn't let up another earned run until the ninth in that game. So it was like you know I feel like in in a lot of respects like uh, sometimes you're a little bit like okay like 
yeah, you know, we are down seven, but what are the chances we, we could slowly claw back in? So I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of don't know. I've been on both sides of it. So, I yeah, I, I do want to save pitching, and I understand that, that aspect. But I also think there's a lot of value, too, to saying, okay, like, you know, when when stuff hits the fan, let's let's roll out our pen and see what we can do. You know, and give our give our hitters a chance to compete. And, you know, and get get back in the game. So, I definitely think just to kind of wrap a bow on this, a compelling fat dirt for it has kind of been what Major League Baseball has trended towards doing. You used to have this kind of you know, you know, great you know respect for these swingman types, these you know rubber arm guys that would eat up three to four innings and they'd save the pen and they'd save the rotation, all that stuff. And now teams are just throwing out position players and they're throwing them out there to throw six to five seventy. They're like we said, John. They're these coaches are now looking past this game. They're looking to move on to the next one. How do we get from the point we're at now? We see this as basically a lost cause we need to get to tomorrow with as much as many weapons as we can have at our disposal so it, it when, when you have, when you see stuff like that happen on a major level i feel like it kind of trickles down to you know um for lack of a better term it's competitive baseball but these are still you know 18 to 21 year olds um that are developing and yeah. it's it, it, it's, a, it's a complex issue. I also think that uh, one thing that was brought up um, in our chat was the, the value of having those blowout games to get guys in. But it seems kind of like that's, you know, kind of a mixed bag. Um, at some points, it's such a blowout that you've already gotten all your guys in. Um, and, and then it's just, as, you know, it, it's, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. Um but it'll, it'll just be interesting to see how it how it goes um, in the SEC this year, and the fact that it's going to be in conference games is interesting because you've got, you know, I think about college football. You have the running clock that's sometimes implemented in the second half of you know games with FCS opponents. These are going to be opponents that are theoretically at the same level. Like it's not beating up on you know mid-major competition. This is going to be you know twelve run games between you know potential rivals. So well, I'll I'll play devil's advocate and say that yeah. BMI Mississippi State game this weekend that was like a yeah. runaway being yeah. eligible a rule and you know for you know for a lot of those kids on VMI that's going to be something they remember for the rest of their lives traveling down to Starksville and beating Mississippi State I mean that's that, that's something that they're going to be able to like you know that that that's a huge thing for them you know and then there lies the rob it's like that's that that's that kind of you know magical like it can only happen in baseball sort of thing yeah. that the run rule would take away. So that, or the run rule could theoretically take away. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, all right. Well, since we were talking about amateur ball, um, I figured we'd throw it to our main topic here and um, different levels of uh, amateur baseball. There's so many of them now. Uh, <laughs> you've got prep ball, you've got summer ball, you've got academy ball, you've got, Division one, division two, II, division three, NAIA, JUCO, all these different levels of, of baseball with different, sometimes with different goals, sometimes with different aspirations. And they all just kind of coexist in this landscape that, that we're in. So um, I guess I'll start with Johnny. Um, since you've had experience coming up, you know, being recruited, um, playing summer ball, you know, seeing these different kind of like schools in, in your process, what have you noticed is like the differences between uh, these different levels of, of amateur baseball as you've kind of risen through the ranks? And I know it's kind of a broad spectrum when you're including high school on top of college, but, you know, just kind of walk us through that. Yeah. So I, I went to a, um, a, cat, um, a prep school, like a, a boarding school um, that was probably, I'd say, uh, if not the best uh, top, two or three um, baseball school in the Northeast. Um, fortunately, 
uh, we've had some uh, a, a bunch of um, MLB alumni, including guys like uh, Mark Fidrich, uh, the bird who pitched for the Tigers, uh, rookie of the year, and um, uh, the JP Ricciardi uh, was uh, a board member at the school. Who's with? Um, he was the GM of the Blue Jays, and now he's with the um, the San Francisco Giants. So this was kind of a, a school that was a hotbed for for talent. Um, so I was be, being able to be surrounded by guys who were okay making area code teams you know perfect game all-american teams my shortstop was matt shaw from maryland so i mean i've i've been been surrounded by guys um who've been all over different sorts of baseball so i think for my freshman year on we had um 31 guys uh transferred to or go into college baseball which is a lot for a high school program you know um so that's uh and, that, and the name of that school is Worcester Academy um if anybody's interested uh probably the best decision I ever made um and as far as I'd say the difference between that and um a public school was that you know we didn't have as many kids as a public school we were a, um I think I'm trying to think you know I was, I was gonna say 400 probably closer to 500 uh, students at the school but there was the the high end of talent was like so crazy where it's like, you know, a public school might have, you know, 60 kids between a um, varsity JV and freshman team where it's like we had a varsity team and a JV team where it's like that varsity team uh, could probably beat a lot of the division three teams in the area. But, you know, the, the depth is, isn't uh, the JV depth isn't on par with like what a public high school would be. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on um, uh, high school. And I think, you know, uh, Danny, you're, you played high school baseball, correct? I played travel through, in okay. high school. I didn't play for my uh, high school, but I traveled around Long Island playing. Okay, yeah, because I was going to say, you know, maybe um, I, I don't know too much about, like, what the um, public school team. I did a little bit of coaching um, during uh, COVID when I wasn't um, – when our college season ended uh, for COVID, I, I kind of came home and did some stuff at my public high school, some pitching coach stuff. So I know a little bit about uh, that sphere, but I wouldn't say that I'm too familiar with that. Yeah, um, I went to – a Catholic high school as well so my like I knew know how they worked with their baseball and whatnot but I as well like you didn't really ever get around a public uh school like baseball team yeah yeah and so like for for me when um recruiting started um I had the way that my score was like I had um, an athletic advisor like in you know an academic advisor a college um a college counselor who has helped me out and then I have my coach. So it was like, it was kind of a great program that they, that they had going because we kind of have these like round table discussions where my parents would be involved and say, okay, here's a score looking at, here's what the coaches think, you know, okay. I, I'm, you know, my, my athletic advisor was a football coach, but he like knew people everywhere. So, okay, let me call him. Let me call him. And so I, I had like, I think I went on like four or five visits um, to a bunch of places and assumption was the first school that actually like gave me like an offer. And um, I uh, visited um, probably three or four more. And then um, a week before or two weeks before signing day, I kind of made a decision where I was like, okay, you know, I feel really at home uh, at this place. And uh, I made the decision to go and never really look back. I mean, um, and I'll get into some more about COVID later on, but because I think COVID really tested me mentally, like in, in all sorts of stuff. Like, I, I think that, you know, for a while there, and I think this was a sentiment all across college at this point was like, when I came, I was like, is this really the school that I visited? Like, there's no way. But, and, and the kids were kind of like, you know what, like, just wait for things to get better. They will, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, dude, there's, everything's closed. There's not like, like, what, what is this, you know, what is this campus right now? Like, I, all I do is sit in my room and then go to practice. Um, so, you know, and ultimately things did get better. But for a while there, I was like really second guessing that the decision. But, you know, the once stuff opened up and that's my, my coach always told me that he's like, just let things get better. Like, let, let COVID, you know, work its way through and things will get better. And ultimately they did. And I, again, I've had some awesome opportunities here. So, yeah, all right, okay. And and just kind of building up the private school versus public school, like I've not really noticed that kind of difference in terms of like game plan and approach. But because uh, it's not really like 
There, there is, there are some prep programs that that might do that around here. I'm not totally familiar with. There's one in Raven Gap, Georgia, that's becoming kind of uh, a thing now. Um, it's got a couple, you know, D1 commits. Um, but the big difference I noticed between the private and public schools here, are, you know, location, 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 with the public schools in particular. And then when you're private schools, on top of that, it's you know additional you know resources that go into facilities. You know when you go to when you go to Mount Perrin, when you go to Wesleyan, these private schools, you, you see the the you know turf fields. You know, um, you know, great dugouts, uh, redesigned press boxes. It's like. You can see that, that there's been money and effort put in to make this place appealing for kids that 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 are good at baseball and that these programs will want to you know have in year and year out and kind of build that reputation. Um, so, did you kind of like notice that at all? You know, what are like the difference between public and private school facilities up in the Northeast? Yeah. So, like, I at the at the prep school I was at. I'd say in general, the, the prep school scene in New England is like old, old, old. It's like all tradition based. So it's like, you know, when you when you walk into this school that's been here since 1800 or however long it was, it's like and you see some of the names like, you know, you see, OK, like, you know, Jarrett Jack, the, you know, the um, NBA point guard. OK, he he played at this school. You know, you have um, NFL players, you know, you know, pro bowlers, you know, you have um, Cy Young Award winner. I mean, it's just everything of guys coming through certain places and you go, OK, it's like the the tradition here is like is what's drawing me here you know it's not it's not necessarily like okay i'm drawn to the fact that we have a nice field and i think that that's part of like like what drew me there in the first place when i went on when i went on like a a school visit and stuff it was like okay like you know you got these old equipment managers been there forever who knows everyone and you like it just it was so much more rooted in like athletic tradition you know and that 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 was kind of the one of the biggest reasons why i went there and um you know i mentioned that my dad was a offensive lineman at ohio state he was a prep school a northeast prep school guy so he kind of knew about the kind of rich athletic tradition that went into it and it's it's not just athletics i mean you're talking like former you know or you know senators congressmen i mean it's a very um, elite network, both academically and athletically that appear uh, in the Northeast. And so it's just something where it's like, you almost feel like you want to be a part of that, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. I, I see. I see. Yeah. It's, it, it's definitely, you know, a lot more history in, in Northeastern United States, you know, a lot more just kind of, you know, things that have been there for, for 200 years. So like, but getting into kind of differences, um, between like you know academies when i talk about academies down here we have something called the national academy league and if you've heard of like these new academies popping up georgia premier academy p27 academy Pro academy 10xl academy like they all kind of got together and formed this league and they play each other every year and i remember talking to scout about it it's just he thinks that this is, this is the future of, of high school baseball, to be honest. Like, he's like, these are going to be like the programs. You're going to see high schools not be able to really compete with these programs that are, that are making, you know, that, that are charging, you know, $15,000, $20,000 a year for tuition to come play baseball here and, and have this, you know, experience where they're playing, for the, they're playing in front of the best of the best. They're getting, you know, they're going to school to play baseball, essentially, you know, and, you know, they're doing classes and all sorts of other things, but it's very specialized. Um, and it's, it's definitely something else. You know, you see these these programs and it's like 10 to 15 D1 commits, you know, maybe, you know, upwards of like 5 to 10, like that 23 class, and then kind of keeps churning back. It's they, these, these programs are getting pretty loaded. Um, and it's it's kind of it, – it, it's scary to think about a, – a, a, a world where you like it's something like Parkview talking about you know um, Mount Parent talking about Lasseter High School or you know all these you know Buford Buford's you know gosh like all these programs they're kind of kind of like adapt they there might be a situation where we're seeing an adapt 
adapting and evolving to this new landscape of these, you know, academies. And it's kind of scary to think about because, you know, these high school environments are, are, are so like unique and, and special. And I don't know. It's just things are changing on that end too. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody else had thoughts about that because I feel like that's kind of a very specific southeastern thing right now with, with these academies. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a, um, you know, cliche or like a, you know, a, an older person saying this, but I think the high school experience in general is really important, uh, you know, just overall for, for a kid. And I think being able to build a network outside of baseball is an important life skill. I mean, there's certain things. And, and what you're saying by academy is like, are these kids going to a public high school and then just doing academy stuff on the side is that or is it is are they getting both school and it, so i i'm not too familiar with this so they're are yeah. they, it's, it's complete okay. school yeah yeah i'll go into it from my understanding it's like um they um they'll do online classes at like an affiliated like school in the area and that's kind of you know how they will you know go through the process of you know meeting credit hours uh, to graduate, you know, it, it's just as it's the same as like if they went to high school there and got their, you know, their diploma after four years. It's just kind of a, it's more of an like an like an online kind of remote experience to accommodate, um, you know, the heavy, you know, diet of you know, training and you know, practice and all sorts of other stuff that that comes with you know these academies that are very hyper focused on 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 baseball. So it's. It's kind of accommodating around it, but there are schools outside of the realm of the academy that they're partnered with to to, to provide the academic experience. Uh, yeah, no. I, I feel as if there's like a limit to how much those academies can grow because I feel like that really appeals to like that upper tier of player where like I was decent at baseball in high school, right? But I would never have shaped my whole high school career around baseball and going to academy like that so I could take online classes and just hyper-focus on baseball. Like, I feel that there's an upper limit to that's not that high of how many of those academies can actually exist and exist well. Yes, exist well is kind of the operating term there. There's yeah. A lot of people that, are, that, that, that come from, like, I remember the comment that was made to me is the most re- recession-proof business in America is youth sports. People yeah. always spend money on youth sports because they want to provide the experience that their kids want to have. And it's it can really, you know, be funded like through that middle, upper middle class. And on top of that, you've got government programs that, that help subsidize um, bringing in kids from, you know, the Dominican Republic and, um, you know, from the Caribbean. That like, That's a big influx in these academies down here is they they're like the the government will provide you like a seven thousand eight hundred dollar subsidy per kid that you bring in you know like you know to provide you know an opportunity is to encourage kind of you know immigration and uh, integration between you know it's just like it's it was explained to me that way that there's just a lot of like financial things that could be leveraged and to and well as you know like if it was focused on just creating, you know, a sustainable, you know, best team environment, there would be an upper limit. But when there's money involved, you know, things can get crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think like like anything, like look look at IMG Academy. I mean, like, and that's that's oh, yeah. that's yeah, uh, you know, an extreme example. But you know, I think everybody knows somebody who's okay. I'm going to IMG. That doesn't mean you're necessarily a, a great ball player. What that means is that, you know, you were able to, you know, package together whatever funds were needed to be able to enroll there and, you know, you're doing your thing. But, you know, to touch off what what Will's saying, parents innately care so much about their kids that they're willing to pay what's needed for to, to, to fulfill whatever goal or, you know, that kid wants. And I think that's a deeper issue we can probably talk about another time is that a lot of companies are 
exploiting that you know the emotional they kind of have that appeal to emotion of are you really doing enough for your kid you know if you are you should be paying for this showcase or you know i need you know you should be paying for your son or daughter to you know do this or do that and i think that that puts the parent in a tough position a lot of times where it's like you know sending your kid down there you know or putting your kid in an academy might not be the best long-term decision but what the parents are thinking is okay we get them here we get a scholarship the return on investment just isn't there long term, you know, and, and and that's that's kind of agreed upon by almost every coach I talk to is like you spend all this money on, you know, travel, travel, baseball, blah, blah, blah. And if you get the best scholarship package in the world, you know, you might you might crack even. But, I'm you know, it's just it's not happening like kids think it's happening, you know. No, no, no. But it's always that kind of appeal of like it could be me, you know, yeah. it is the same kind of appeal of, uh, you know, you know, if, you know, I hate to talk about it like this cause these are kids lives and, but it's like, you know, playing the lottery or, you know, doing daily fantasy, you know, sports where you, you hear these return on investment rates are so low, but the like reward that you see that, 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 that carrot at the end of the stick that you can't quite reach but you think, but but you're like maybe I can, and maybe that that we're gonna be like the big story, and and then on top of that, you know, gosh, you can imagine, you know, if you're in a neighborhood and you know, like your best friend, their parents do it, and now you're like mom, dad, you know, Tommy's down there, Tom, Tommy's family did it, and I want to hang out with Tommy, I want to spend time with Tommy while playing baseball, so it's yeah. But that's this wow. is, is a can of worms for another day, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. There's, like, you, you could go into so much different, you know, like travel ball versus Legion. I mean, there's so many different discussions you can get into about that sort of stuff. But yeah, like I said, um, you know, I think that it's probably better to split that up into another conversation because, you know, there's so much you can probably put into that. Oh, yeah. Gosh. I'm going to throw over to Dan, Dan real quick. Um, since you're working at UVA this year in the analytics department, mm-hmm. I kind of want you to talk about your experience working for this Power 5 D1 program and kind of, you know, what you've noticed about um, the resources at your disposal. Because as we talked about, we all come from the Cape, too, where, yep. you know, I, let, let me put it this way, you know, two words, wet grounds. You any At any time, it can rain, you know, it can be, you know, a full 24 hours after it rains, wet grounds. Yep canceled wet grounds aren't a thing at uva <laughs> at least yeah. at least i don't think it can possibly be a thing at uva as, yeah. as it is in other places i'm very i'm very blessed to be around the uva baseball team uh and being around the facilities where one of the best teams in the country we're ranked obviously like 19 right now uh and through coach o'connor we've established one of the strongest programs out there uh coach oak has done a lot to really improve this program and yeah uh, being part of a d1 school just out of the nature of it you're gonna have stronger facilities stronger funding and i was talking about it with johnny before we got on here but it's just there's things that i wouldn't even think about like him taking a a 17 hour bus ride like i don't travel with the team but i'm sure we would have thought of different accommodations for that um for our travel and he was talking about how you can have a pitcher who's charting a game and then he has to go get hot for the next inning. We have our analytics staff that does that. Right. Uh, I think that a lot of the benefits of our funding and just the size of our program and just allowing players to focus on their player development and to develop at the best possible way. We have a full coaching staff that's with them. They practice almost, they practice like every day, obviously. Um, And then they have people like me and the other members of the analytics team to take care of responsibilities so that they can just focus on baseball and they could focus on competing in the ACC and best positioning themselves for the draft. Right. And I think that's the benefit of being a D one program with so much funding is you're just going to get such great focus on your development that maybe at other levels, you may have other things blocking your, uh, your path a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to touch on some of these other levels real quick for, for we, uh, get into kind of our final question here. Um, Juco ball has become kind of a, it, it, it's always been 
a, a, a hotbed for for talent, particularly in. And I'm speaking from from a scouting perspective. It's always been a hotbed of talent in Florida and California and Arizona and Texas and a lot of places in between the deep south as well. And it's now starting to expand outwards to like, you know, the Midwest. Iowa's got a really, you know, great program, Iowa Western. Um, gosh, like there's a lot of, you get kind of more accustomed. There's a, there's like, there's these programs even in the Northeast now that, that are starting to kind of turn out talent and your D1 arms. You know, we talk about Harford, I think, you know. Harford's got like an entire rotation this year that's that's throwing above ninety. <laughs> and yeah, that's, you know, that's a Maryland JUCO program, so it's like, oof. you yeah. know, it, it's kind of exploded um, due, in, in large part due to the pandemic, kind of pushing so many kids um, that that might have you know gotten taken out of high school in twenty twenty, and but particularly with the reduced funds, it pushed so many kids. And it just kind of trickled down. It made, you know, it tried a log jam at higher levels, which meant that there's less playing time for the incoming players that, that might have received it the year prior. And then that pushed them down either into other Division One schools or more likely, you know, wanted to play right away, JUCO programs. Yeah. And JUCO ball is definitely something else. Um, I don't know if, you, if either of you have had any firsthand experience with it or not. Um, Danny, Danny saying no, Johnny. No, you... yeah. I I went through a little bit of um, recruiting with some JUCO schools. Um, I think that, and I've, I've obviously had a lot of uh, buddies take that uh, specific route. It's tough. I mean, you're you're gambling on your own career. I mean, you're it, that. It's kind of the definition of betting on yourself, and that's kind of what always scared me is like a guy who is like on and off elbow injuries as a senior in high school and like, okay, like, yeah, that could be an option, but it's like, you know, you blow out your elbow, you got to understand there, there, there isn't really in Juco, like you, you, you and Tommy John, that's 16 months or whatever. That's it's a tough road back to a division one program or division two program out of there. Um, so for me, it was like, you know, I, once, once, a you know, an NCA school comes and offers you a scholarship, and this was my approach. It was like, all right, like this is a best fit situation for me. And a lot of other guys say, you know what, like bet, you know, bet on yourself. And I think, you know, in some situations that makes sense, but in some situations too, it's like, you know, I, I'm happy with where I'm at and like, let's, let's, let's be the best uh, version of where, where you're at. So, you know, my, my school, you know, I was blessed to be around, you know, a number of guys who, Know, whether it was you know get drafted or transfer out to a division one you know that's that's something that like our school in the last couple of years had a bunch a plethora of guys who were really skilled so i've been lucky in that regard yeah okay all right yeah and just kind of another kind of different thing that, that i don't think we talk about a whole lot um but it's definitely a you know wild west might be the a word to describe it, um, NAIA ball um, has so many different stories and so many different, you know, um, players coming from so many different backgrounds. Um, I mean, gosh, you'll see like 25, 26-year-old kids in NAIA ball. I remember there being an instance of, um, of a Braves draft pick who got drafted, signed, got released, and then went and played NAIA ball. Like he went from being a professional baseball player to an NAIA baseball player, which is something that could only happen there. It couldn't that one that could never happen in any other really scenario. I, so I think there may be a situation where if you can find a way to like like you know pay back whatever whatever you received as a amateur prospect, you can come back and regain amateur status. I know there's something to that um, to that, but I'm not exactly okay. sure rules but yeah like you said the nai that's kind of uh you know that's that's it is very loose in terms of eligibility and you can find all sorts of different wild stories um but it it it, it's a different environment completely i i actually was you know trying to figure out how to 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 get out to one of these games at georgia Gwinnett or at reinhardt but it's just so it, it we're just scratching the surface talking kind of you know 
on on the peripherals of it, but it's so deep and there's so many programs. That's just how widespread amateur baseball is. So I want to touch on that. Um, you know, I think we kind of mentioned some D3 programs earlier on. Um, I've kind of noticed something, you know, cropping up. I was talking about this with somebody the other day. A lot of these E3 programs are very academic oriented, especially around here. Like Emory is a is a very hard, hard school to get into. Great academic reputation. They play in a conference with pretty much schools that are just like that. NYU, um, Washington Lee. Uh, gosh, I can't. No, I'm blanking on, on some other ones, but it's it. These are you know highly thought of academic universities, and you know, you know all, all these like liberal, these like small liberal arts colleges that you know have these high reputations. They're usually D three schools. Do you kind of see a trend of like those schools kind of getting a little bit more talent than they usually did because of this renew like this emphasis from parents on, oh my gosh, you can go. You're, you're, they want you to play at Emory. Do you know how great of a school Emory is? Like, like, do you see kind of that happening at all? Like, where, where it's this blend of like, yeah, yeah, I think like these athletes the, with, you know, an, an academic blend. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, John. No, no, I think what's, what's, what's going on right now that I think is like a, a phenomenon that I, it's, it's in the Northeast more than anything is like these guys are choosing to, okay, they go to the undergrad at one of these NESCAC schools, which like, if you're not familiar, they're called like the, the mini Ivies in the Northeast. And that's like, um, Tufts, Williams, um, like some of the best schools in the, in the, in the country are um, those smaller liberal arts schools in terms of, uh, Middlebury, you know, Bates Bowden. And so what guys are doing is they're spending their first four there and then they're going to grad transfer. Yep. And so all these Northeast schools, if you look yeah. at BC just ran out their Friday and Saturday guy, or two division three grad transfers. And it's like, you're looking at like all these Northeast programs, whether it's UConn, Northeastern, URI, they're, they have impact players coming who are uh, transfers from division three. I mean, uh, Bryant had uh, Brian Shaw from Trinity starting in left field. I mean, you're seeing like at, at a incredible rate, these division three players um, having a um, immediate impact at the division one level. And it makes sense in your head because you're going, okay, this guy, this guy pitched 140 innings at a division three. Okay. Let's stack him up against the freshman who has never thrown a collegiate inning. Obviously one, one you're facing men and one you're facing high school kids, the, the division three kids going to get the nod and that's just the way it is. And so it's been like a really interesting thing for me to see is like how many of these D three kids are like making immediate impact to the division one level. Oh yeah, that's that. I didn't think about it that way, but there's a kid at Emory that's a grad transfer to. This is gonna be a grad transfer to Michigan State next year. And he's yeah. six seven righty, and like he's he's gonna get on the field immediately, and he's yeah. gonna have he's gonna have an Emory degree in his back pocket. So it's like it's a perfect blend there, of kind of you know now uh, my backup plan. Oh, I have a, I'm an Emory grad. <laughs> that's my backup yeah. plan. Yeah. Um, and he, and this kind of ties into the final question here that, that there's an old adage across almost it's it, I looked it up and it's across every sport, football, basketball, baseball, hockey. If you can play, they will find you. Do you think that adage is true? And if so, or if so, like, do you think it's true, not true, or just true to a certain extent? Uh, that'd be the three ways I'd put it. Yeah. Um, I would say I think it's true to a certain extent. I think with the proliferation of both social media and data now, um, it's easier than ever to find someone. I'm sure both of you probably can agree with this experience, but I've had kids in my DMs just sending me video of them and saying, hey, here are my Jackman numbers. And that's really easy. There's no cost barrier there, right? I can send Will a DM tomorrow and say, here are my Jackman numbers. And the cost of just whatever I did to get that tournament, but to send that message is nothing. And it can really gain exposure. Um, and I think because of that now, it is like if you are playing the sport at in high school, you should be able, if you are talented, be able to find something by going to just DMing people like crazy. That can work out. Like I, I've spoken to our baseball operations guy and he just opened his email and it's 
always just filled with kids saying, here are my trackman numbers and here's video, things like that. But the reason why I say it's true to an extent is I do think there's a big cost barrier to sports. And I think um, some people can get priced out of it. If you don't can't go to the showcases that have those trackman numbers, if you can't start play, paying for those travel teams, um, at some point you may get priced out. And I think that that's an issue that baseball is working to address. I think that's an issue with why like there's diversity issues within baseball too. And it's something from a low level. We have to ensure that like we are encouraging all kids that have talent to keep playing regardless of what the cost of the game is. But I think once you're in the game, if you do have talent, that adage will hold true because it's just so easy to find people now because of social media. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I actually want to wrap it up with Johnny because I think Johnny will have a great perspective on this. I think it's true to a certain extent as well. Um, from my perspective, it's you can you can find pitcher like for pitchers, you know, it's gosh, like you know, I have Twitter searches that I can I can basically find anybody that's thrown ninety three miles per hour greater put on Twitter. Yeah, be like, okay, we'll see if it's real, but like, it's out there, and it's it, like, Twitter's become such a great resource for 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 being able to find players. But this, there's only a certain limit that you can reach with you know video with you know bullpens. At the end of the day, you know, if, if the day we're referring to is scouts, they want to see performance from hitters against velocity and from pitchers against high-caliber hitting talent. And that usually is going to boil boil down to can you matriculate up the ladder at the college level to either Division I or into a prestigious sum-ball league. And at a certain point, it's it's circling back to the to the, the summer ball thing where there's a collection of, of, of high-end talent. That's where you, That's where they will find you. They'll find out about you from other places and try to put you into these places. But it, yeah. it's it, it's I, I brought true to a certain extent. I kind of wanted to get to see if we could get more you know granular with it. But like that 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 to me is kind of the adage. It's like if you can play, they will find you. But they want to see something first, and yeah. then they will advocate for you, and then they'll try to to get you there and then they'll see if you can play so it's just it, it it's it's something that i think is very romanticized but um but with with how baseball is turning into in terms of being very you know we want to concentrate all these guys in one place and make it you know easy you know for, for showcases for tournaments for for summer leagues that's kind of where it's it's trending but uh, throw it to Johnny now. Hopefully, I didn't take all the, all the ideas out. <laughs> oh no, I you know I think um, in in a lot of regards, you know, people talk. Okay, there's politics in in sports. You know, certain guys, um, you know, have have certain connections. And I was talking to um, Ben Brewster about this, um, the founder of Tread Athletics down in Charlotte. And you know, we were going, we were talking about his rehab process. He was coming out hip surgery and i said man you you're gonna get you're, you're gonna get signed because you're ben brewster you know and his answer was kind of like you know what does it it doesn't matter scouts scouts don't really care about that what they care about is am i am i 98 and am i getting hitters out you know and that, that was kind of like like where he left it and was like you know a video uh, you know i get a video out of me hitting 98 i get the scouts to the pro day and that's just the way that it works. And I think that like, it's never been easier with, with the technology and you're right. You know, a video of you hitting 98 isn't, isn't going to have an LB team, you know, send you a contract in the mail that might get them to show up to watch you throw against live hitters or get to check out, you know, okay, let's, let's look at his repertoire. And, you know, I, I want to, briefly go into how deep everything gets the MLB level. When you work on these, future projection models they're taking everything into account i mean it's not just like they're saying okay we have you know we, we saw this video of you know max clark hitting uh you know having three home runs in a high school game he's our you know he, he's our pick you know it, it's they're they're going into um force plate ground force production modeling i mean there's there's so much stuff that goes deeper into what these analytic teams are building out so yeah it's like 
if you want the guys to start going after you, you, you know, there's, there's ways to market yourself, but at the end of the day, that's, that's kind of not where it ends. You know, it's, there's, it, 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 uh, it, there's, there's a much, much longer path to uh, ultimately reaching your goals. Um, and, and I think that you're right, Twitter and, you know, Instagram and all this has made a easy platform to get people interested, but that's only really the beginning of, of where everything goes. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a great way to put it. It's, the, the the days of uh, of getting the tip and showing up to the field, they're still there. But as you get further up the ladder, it becomes way way more involved with the technology we have. So yeah, there's there's yeah. organizations there's organizations who are bringing guys in for nothing more uh, than you know simply testing out you know force output, and then that's that's you know that's one piece of whatever projection they're running and that's just kind of how it works you know that's that's stuff people are doing uh and and that's multiple organizations so i think that like you know it's not it's not the days anymore where it's like okay we had we had our you know area scout check them we had our cross checker yep let's make the decision it's like this is a full scale you know you might be involving the analytic team you might be involving you know everybody in 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 these decisions and that's that's where the 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 best organizations are really making up ground on the lower organizations is that synergy between you know player development advanced you know scouting advanced scouting i mean they're all together strength conditioning i mean that's really where where teams are making up you know ground on other teams yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, we're getting upwards to, to near an hour here. So I kind of want to wrap things up. Um, Danny, uh, what, are, what are you up to this week? Uh, what are you looking forward to? I mean, we've, we've all talked about like we're college baseballs now in full swing and we've yeah. been waiting for it for a while. So, yeah. So we have Columbia coming to play us. So I'll be working Friday and Sunday for the game. And, uh, yeah, just really looking forward to being back at the field, uh, see more from our guys but that's gonna be the main draw for me this weekend do y'all have a non-conference um rival that you are playing on the first week of march i would assume it's probably just like other schools in virginia that will be playing um okay. but i don't know uh, off the top of my head now okay okay yeah, because um, down here, Georgia and Georgia Tech play that, that first weekend. Clemson, South Carolina play that first weekend. Um, that, that, fir- that first weekend can be of March can, can be kind of like the inter, like, you know, between like ACC, SEC, or, you know, Big Ten, Big 12. I, I don't really know, but it's, yeah. So you'll, you'll just be up to going, going to work uh, for the Columbia series, right? Yep. Anything else you're looking forward to? And then in the week, and like, because we're you know, week we can have we can you know. Um, I guess I'll also just like the end of our basketball season. Um, we have to yeah. finish up strong for the ACC. Uh, it's been a fun ride this year. I think we're ranked number six right now. Uh, after being here for four years, it's good to like finally have a team that's really producing because we haven't had that in my four years here, and they won the championship the year before I got here. Okay. So my brother got to see that. I missed it. Um. And now hopefully we have a tournament run where we can win a few games. We made the tournament once when I was here, and we lost the first game. So uh, that's been my other big th- source of excitement. It's just college basketball and college baseball right now. Yeah. Johnny, what are you going to be up to this week and weeks coming ahead? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, yeah, we're catching a, catching a flight uh, Thursday. Uh, we're opening up um, four straight games uh, Friday. Off day Monday, a few more. We got uh, Flagler, some more of the those Sunshine Schools, and then we're taking a travel day down to um, Fort Lauderdale. We got another three or four days there. Travel back up, and then uh, start to attack the spring schedule up uh, up north. So that's kind of where we're at with everything. So it'll be a busy a busy couple days, and then um, you know I I'll, I guess I'll um, break some news. Well, not break news, but I, I accepted a, a position to join the uh, coaching staff in um, Hyannis for the, for the um, Harbor Hawks this summer, which is something that uh, I was really excited about. Um, Congrats. And, uh, yeah. yeah. You are you going to, are you still going to be pitching as well? We're trying to work that out right now. I'm set, you know, <laughs> I, I hope, I hope so. I hope there's a way. Um, and 
but yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to being able to work with uh, some of the great coaches up there and be able to kind of focus with the pitchers uh, this summer. So it was a situation where it worked out really well, where, well, you know, a coach who I have a ton of respect for, Kevin Holm, um, he, he couldn't make it up this summer, former big leaguer. And, um, you know, they were in a, um, uh, and we're looking for, you know, somebody for the pitching background and I was able to make it work. So uh, I'm looking forward to being able to spend the whole summer on Cape. So. And yeah, awesome. that's are you, are you going to be able to to walk up to the mound and ask for the ball and then just be able to pitch? Oh yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that's where we're trying to kind of figure it out right now. Is like, is 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 there a way to like, you know, because because where where I'm at is like, you know, I don't know, um, you know, if I would have been able to play the whole year, you know, or play the whole summer, but you know, uh, definitely being able to join this coaching staff is something that. You know, it's really cool, and you know, even if even if that means sacrificing and you know some extra innings on the mound, it's definitely something that I'm looking forward to being able to do. So, all right, well, I'll wrap it up here, saying, well, I'm gonna be doing some high school stuff this week, seeing a couple pitchers that are on my list that I'm able to see yet. I'm actually taking this weekend off. Um, just you know, always good to take a, a little time off. But once March starts, uh, we have Georgia, Georgia Tech, and then it's just going to be every weekend is, you know, Power 5 versus Power 5. So this is the weekend to do it and, and kind of get, you know, rested and ready for that that big surge. So I'm looking forward to that, of course. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So once again, thank you, Danny. Thank you, Johnny. Um, thank you all for listening. Um I'm, I'm sure we're, we're in the dozens now, <laughs> but uh, we really appreciate it. Um, hope we uh, were able to, to really break um, break some new ground in some of these topics we talked about today and give you something you know good to listen to. Um, and yeah, so thank you all for listening. Our next episode, um, we're on a two-week record time, um, so we'll be recording the first week of March. Oh, wait, no, wait, hang on, how's no, we were recording the second week of March. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So, like, I, so plans are to record second week of March. Should be out, you know, around the eighth or the tenth. Um, everything's kind of fluid in that regard. So, look for the next episode on the eighth to tenth of March. Um, so, thank you guys for listening. Until then, keep grinding.